Thank you, Abby. Thanks so much. Um, friends, do grab a Bible. Uh, that'd be really helpful for me and for you as we look at these next little um, section from, from Philippians. Uh, let me pray as we begin. Um, but a warm welcome to you as well if you're just um, looking in. Perhaps you're not a regular at Maldon Road or you're um, a friend of a Maldon Roader or you just found us online. Great to see you. Um, let me pray as we look at God's word together. Father in heaven, we thank you. Um, week by week that you've spoken to us through this letter, it's been so timely and so relevant, so challenging, so encouraging. And pray that you would continue to speak. Pray that we would continue to have soft hearts and open ears. Help us to see not just what it meant then and why Paul was writing it to this church, but actually what it means for us now. Be at work this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. The, um, uh, the big questions of life, the who am I, what am I here for, uh, what's life all about and why are there struggles, who or, or what are my enemies, my difficulties, my frustrations, my challenges, are questions that people I think are particularly asking at the moment. Um, not surprising in one sense, it's as people keep saying and we keep saying, unprecedented times, it's a strange season. So much is stripped away and bigger issues are being chewed over, mulled over. Of course, they're questions that people always ask. Am I, am I simply a biological accident? Where do I derive meaning or success or worth from? And, and why do I get it from there? What is this world all about? Why are we here? Questions that people often ask and often actually those questions asked through the medium of film, popular culture. I think nowhere better actually in terms of film for those kinds of questions than with the, the Bourne trilogy. Um, kids, if you have a handout, you'll see um, there's an interesting colouring for you on the second page. I couldn't find much from the passage, so you've got a colouring of Jason Bourne. Um, if you're not familiar with the story, then I'll try to not drop in too many spoilers, but it begins with a man floating as if dead in the Mediterranean Sea. A completely blank slate. Seemingly he's been shot, he's chipped with an ID number, he's rescued by some fishermen, and he remembers very little. He doesn't know who he is, or why he's there, or where he's come from, or what his background is. And he seems to have all these crazy ninja skills. He seems to have an ability to speak in all kinds of languages and cause all kinds of damage. But he doesn't know who he is. One of my um, favourite scenes in the first film is an interchange um, between Jason and a, and a lady called Marie. Um, and Jason says this, he says, uh, who has a safety deposit box full of money and six passports and a gun? Who has a bank account number in their hip? I, I come in here and the first thing I'm doing is I'm catching the sight lines and I'm looking for an exit. Marie says, well, I see the exit sign too. I'm not worried. I mean, you were shot. People do all kinds of weird and amazing things when they're scared. And then he continues, I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed. The guy sitting up in the corner weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the grey truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for half a mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? And how could I not know who I am? Actually, that's the big question of the first film. Who am I? Then the second big question in that film, as he tries to survive, uh, who are my enemies? Why are they trying to kill me? 
and why are various gangs and why is the CIA and why are all these people chasing me and so the plot uh, unravels and works and maybe if you've not seen those films um, I'd recommend them to you if you're of age um, they're very good very interesting questions of identity tumble out through them who am I why am I here where am I going where am I from and of course, they are key questions for the Christian too, aren't they? Key questions, in fact, for the Philippian church. Because if you get those questions wrong, if you're not clear on identity and purpose or, or, or the challenges to those things, which we'll see in this morning's section, then we'll be in all kinds of trouble. There will be all kinds of problems with life. It's actually why in our section for this morning, Paul longs again for the Philippians that they stand firm together. 4 verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I long and whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. We, we've already seen it as we've gone through the letter. In the midst of the mess, he wants them to watch him and to follow him as he follows Christ. And just as Paul was willing to, to, to suffer joyfully, seeing that God is at work in, through, despite the situations they're up against, despite him being in prison, despite opposition, despite hardship. Well, just as Paul is like that, so he longs for the Philippians too as well, living out there, being united with Christness together, corporately, as a family, as a church body. Of course, the problem is in this messy, very tangible world, we're forgetful. We're, we're like Jason Bourne. We forget who we are. We forget who we are in Christ. We have identity amnesia. We forget what this world is really all about. We forget what our purpose is. We forget where the world is going. We, we get buffeted this way and that, and we begin to believe what the world says. Maybe especially when the temperature's turned up and life is complicated and difficult. It's not easy to live for Christ. And so how are the Philippians going to stand firm? Well, our first point from Paul, for this morning first point is be clear on who you are we've gone high tech again be clear on who you are 3 verse 20 to 21 this is vital says paul uh, know who you are philippians know where you come from and know where you're going and know who you belong to because when you know those things that changes everything Everything is different. Have a listen again to verse 20. He says, but our citizenship, Philippians, Christians, Maudlin Road, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. It's as if Paul says, Philippians, look at your passport and remember where you belong. And remember where you really come from. Remember where you're going. Philippians, remember who you are. And we've touched on it before in recent weeks, but it's deliberately loaded language from Paul because of the nature of Philippi. Do you remember? Um, Philippi was a Roman colony. So uh, physically, geographically, it was in Greece rather than Italy. 
but socially or legally or culturally the inhabitants were Romans. Many of them or their parents or their, their grandparents were Roman military veterans, that was where they put them. And so you see that they lived in Philippi but they considered themselves Roman. Little outcrop of Rome, a town full of people who were from somewhere else living in a place that was their home, but it wasn't really their home, surrounded by people who were like them, but not really like them. Also, it's the same thing for us as Christians. It's the same thing for the Christians in Philippi. Living in Philippi, but belonging elsewhere. Their home, but not really their home. Their passports, their passports say they are citizens of heaven. And that changes everything. It changes your perspective on life. It, changes what your life is about. It changes who you are, who you think of yourself as being. A little while ago, I met a Christian lady um, who began sharing her testimony and it was an extraordinary testimony. Uh, she began, she started off by saying, essentially, I am the product of adultery. And she went on to explain her difficult and complicated family situation, but she was the outcome of, of an affair within the church. You can imagine, you could have heard a pin drop as she shared this. Yeah, the thing that struck me was she was incredibly secure. She knew who she was in Christ. She, she had a mature grasp of her, of her foundational identity. Well, she could have had all kinds of issues, all kinds of things to wrestle with and deal with when it came to, to working out who she was. But it was a genuinely humbling privilege to meet her because she knew who she was. She knew who she belonged to. She knew that ultimately she was a citizen of heaven. Have a look down at the verses again. Do you see um, whom being a citizen of heaven actually revolves all around? We're a, a people who, who serve the true powerful king. So powerful, in fact, that verse 21, he's in control of everything. But also we're a people with a future, a people who have a hope. A people for whom the grave is not the end of the story. No, verse 20, we're eagerly awaiting a saviour from heaven. Or verse 21, a saviour who will transform these broken and ailing and decaying, frustrating bodies to be like his heavenly body. And it's not escapist daydreaming and wishful thinking. Now, when he speaks of Christ's transformed body, he's, he's bringing to mind the resurrection for us. He's bringing to mind the transformation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's the kind of truth we would do well to spend more time chewing on. One writer um, puts it like this and puts it very well, I think. They say, Jesus, he will rescue us, rescue us from the toxic byproducts of our own and other people's rebellion. When he comes back from heaven, he's going to raise our sin-stained, suffering, scarred bodies from the dead. And as he emerged triumphant from the grave on the third day with a real material body that can never be harmed again by pain or disease or death. So our saviour will give us glorious bodies like his. No more muscle aches or broken bones or arthritis or memory loss or indigestion or heart disease or cancer. 
no more appetites bent in on themselves in guilty self-indulgence, a, a body wired to desire what our creator designed for us, what he's pleased to give us and what he's pleased to see us enjoy through and through forever and ever. Friends, your passport says you are a citizen of heaven. One of those who are in Christ, waiting for his return, a people with a future. And that changes everything. That changes who we are and say so what we live for. Because you see, when we know who we are, when we know where we're going, life gets clearer. But of course, much of the time we've got the Jason Bourne amnesia. Not so much with the ninja skills, but confused and forgetful as to who we really are and what we're really all about. Because the world screams at us, take me seriously, says the world. No, no, Christian, be a citizen of the earth. Put down your permanent roots here. Make a name for yourself here, says the earth. Dance the dance like everyone else here. Find your worth and your identity and what you see around you. And it promises us permanence and value. It says that we belong here. But it's really hard, isn't it? To remember that we don't. It's really hard to, to remember that actually we are a citizen of heaven uh, and that we're going somewhere else. And we're kind of at home but not really at home, surrounded by people who are kind of like us but not really like us. We're, we're citizens from another place. Let's be careful here. There's a there's a movement within many churches at the moment of, of the idea of being a blessing, Christians being a blessing to the city, being a blessing to their neighbourhoods and investing in and being good and doing good in the world. I think that's a really helpful thing. and That's a great thing. And as you know, that's part of our vision behind the old schoolhouse. But we need to remember that we're in the world, but not of the world. In that blessing to remember that we're actually citizens from elsewhere, recognising ultimately we won't fit in. We won't really be that accepted at the end of the day. We won't ever quite feel at home or that we really belong here. And, you know, that's OK. Because we're citizens of another place. We belong somewhere else. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, for Paul, one of the reasons he reminds them of their identity and the reasons he, he describes them like this is he's drawing quite a stark contrast with some more opponents who were stirring things up um, in the area at the time. It seems they were very much, if you like, citizens of Philippi, citizens of Oxford. And so just as Jason Bourne had to work out not only who he was, but who his opposition was, well, so with Paul, he doesn't just want them to know who they are. Now, he wants them to be clear on the challenges that they're facing. And so that's our second point. Bear with me. Be clear on your challenges, says Paul. And we've kind of got either side, say so 3, 17 to 19, and then 4, verse 1 to 3. So Paul says to them, it's not easy being a Christian, but maybe to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Let's have a look at these. Firstly, 
in 3, 18 to 19, some external challenges that seem to be pressing in on the church. Let me read verse 18 again. For as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And he continues, but our citizenship is in heaven. And you know, there are different ideas as to who these people are, uh, quite what it is they're saying. Some think we are still talking about the guys from last week. Do you remember that the legalists who were adding, it was Jesus plus, Jesus plus circumcision, they were saying. And that appeals to us, that appeals to our flesh, because we like to keep laws to earn righteousness. We, we find it hard to receive God's grace. It could be that. Others think it's a new group. Not those struggling with legalism, but at the other end, those struggling, we say, with license. That is, they are abusing the freedom and forgiveness that we have in Christ. People say, well, you know, God is bound to forgive us, isn't he? You've got the gospel get out of jail free card. Just use your freedom for fun. Just live a little. You can have your cake and eat it. What does it matter how you behave? What does it matter? whether you live in such a way that makes the Lord pleased. He's got to forgive you because Christ has died and been raised again. What does it matter? It's actually been interesting chatting to a number of pastor friends um, around the country, perhaps around the world. I know there's been a, that's been a struggle for many churches during lockdown. In a world that is ruled by bodily appetites and serving self and where the usual routines are out the window or the support networks or accountability goes out the window people are struggling more with sinful behavior maybe you can associate with something of that maybe there are struggles that you've not had for for months or years and they've come back these last few months but notice as he describes them you see it as abby read it for us it's that mind word again we had it back in chapter two of being of one mind, do you remember? Or having the same mindset of Christ Jesus, two verse five. But here it's about a mindset on something different. They have a mindset on earthly things. Where's the focus of your mind? What do you think about? What do you daydream about? What do you long for? Where is your mindset? Again, it's an important question. We can be disciplined and we need to be disciplined in how we think. Not to just be people of appetites. Where's your mindset? Well, what does your internet history reveal? Or your bank statements reveal? Or if we could see in your thought life? Maybe something to chew over this week in home groups or over a distanced coffee with a friend or a walk with a friend or even on the Zoom chat later after the service. Verse 19, how much do we think about earthly things? And are we captivated by them? Or verse 20, how much do you think about being a citizen of heaven but here on earth? Remembering who we are. The, the problem can be our mind is set in the wrong place and suddenly we find ourselves living in the wrong place with the same kinds of values as everyone else. Of course, if you think the grave is the end, 
if that is the farthest horizon you're able to see and and by all means friends you must make the most of the now you must grab all you can now and squeeze in all you can now cram your weeks and your life with as much meaning and worth and stuff as you can you have to it makes sense time is short next week it may be that phone call the test results come back so friends work through your bucket list and this is all we have of course if your citizenship is on earth of course you must eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die if that's our focus that's that's what life may well look like squeezing all the meaning we can but of course for the Christian, we live differently. Why? Because we are citizens from another place. I think it's fair to say that ours really is an era, a culture perhaps, that can be described, verse 19, as being kind of appetite-driven. That is the sea that we swim in. That is the air that we breathe the whole time. And being distinctive is really hard. And when we want something, we press on a few buttons and Amazon Prime delivers it in a day or two. What happens when that kind of appetite-driven mentality affects the church, though? It's interesting that the whole perspective of the people of God gets skewed. We, we become consumers. We become in it for us. And God is here to serve me and to give me what I want. And if he stops doing that, then maybe I'll try a different God. It's interesting, as you look at the, the verses, actually, reading it carefully, I'm not sure that this is actually in their church yet. It may simply be the, the wider Christian community. Paul says many. So maybe, maybe it's just on the fringes. Maybe it's not into the church at Philippi, and yet he's warning them it's coming. This kind of license, this appetite-driven living in the church. The misnomer, says Paul. No, it's, it's, it doesn't work. I'm struck as well that whatever happens, or whether it's there or not, Paul seems to genuinely be moved by them, for them. Last week, Jesus plus, I think he was more angry. This week, there seems to be more compassion. He's sad. A tenderness for people who claim the title of Christian, but, but are caught up in the world in such a way that they don't live the life. So that's the first challenge he wants us to be aware of. Verse 18 to 19, it's living the lifestyle that doesn't much match up to the calling we have. It's almost foot in both camps, sitting on the fence, trying to live for Christ and yet still be in the world, in the world and of the world. That's the first one. It means that we must have a think about our blind spots. How much of the culture and values of, of the Western world has seeped into the Western church, shaping what we're happy to do or listen to or, or watch, the things we care about, the things that motivate us, the things that drive us, the things we talk about. How much does have attitudes from outside the church snuck into the church? Things that we really ought not to have much to do with. And yet some of us, maybe we do. Are there are things that we happily fill our lives with that we really ought not fill our lives with. Are there appetites, daydreams that we happily feed that 
that really we ought not be happy to feed them. And so what, Paul? What now, Paul? Well, into this culture of license, 4 verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And the idea of standing firm, it isn't so much individualistic, stoic resolve. No, it's, it's be steadfast together. This has got a corporate ring to it. Together stand firm as citizens of heaven on earth. Together. But as we've already sensed, there are unity issues within the church in Philippi. And so here's a second challenge. If, if the first one is verse 18, 19, this idea of kind of license, living in a way that, that doesn't befit the people of God. The second one, the second one is splintering within pressure from outside the church that's causing faction and divisions within and so we'll read it again verse 2 i plead with you odion i plead with syntyche to be of the same mind in the lord not just the same mind in the lord yes and i ask you my true companion help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life Wouldn't you love to know quite who they were and what happened and why the bust up? Striking, isn't it? These prominent women who were part of Paul's wider ministry team are publicly named in a letter. Presumably there's been a public bust up. And so he names them. Euodia and Syntyche. And 2,000 years later, we know their name. Can you... Can you imagine the scene? The church has gathered, maybe Paul's letter to be read in front of everybody. And suddenly it's, you know, making sense and they're sounding, sounding like it's hitting a few buttons. And then suddenly, 4 verse 2, not that the verses were there when it was read, but 4 verse 2, for Euodia and Syntyche, the temperature in the room suddenly goes right up. It gets very warm. Faces get flushed and it all gets more than a bit awkward. And he urges them, he urges them what? To agree in the Lord. Which is a very smart way of him saying to them, don't forget, it's not just the two of you. No, there's a third person involved in this, because together you are in the Lord. Remember your identity, remember him. And actually it's bigger than that. Um, Clement is pulled in as well. Someone described also as a true companion. Um, don't know who that is really. It may be the church pastor or um, some of the commentators think maybe it's any in the church who see themselves in that way. Maybe he's calling for action from church members to be Paul's true companion by helping these two women to be reconciled. And then he widens it right out because they're all in the Lamb's Book of Life. Remember who you are. Remember who you belong to and act accordingly. And, and where we fall out with people, as with Euodia and Syntyche, remember your identity in Christ. We've commented already um, in this series that actually it's not been an easy few years at Modern Road. We've been 
not just out of our comfort zone, but I think quite a long way out of our comfort zone, all kinds of changes and uncertainties and challenges. And yet the Lord has graciously kept us as one body. I don't know of any significant fallings out, any euodias and syntiches who need to be reconciled. I'm, I'm not sure whether I'd publicly name you um, if there were, but I don't think there are. But we must take this seriously. If there are other Christians, people in the Lord, whom you need to be reconciled with, and especially if they are part of your local church family, then please, can I urge you, be brave and do that. These things can fester and grow and pollute and infect and multiply. It just gets messy and unpleasant. I think it's happened to me really only once that I can think of. Friend, good friend, still a good friend, but for various reasons he had been holding a grudge for a while. Um, and they were kind and they were brave and they, they asked if we could meet. I said, what's it about? I'll tell you when we get there. And we met and he apologised. Uh, and it was painful, but it was a powerful moment. Of course, in our day, our world is so hugely divided. You just look on social media this last week and there's such division, even these last 12 hours. Such anger, such vitriol, such pride. And the problem now for us is we can just ignore it or avoid it or unfollow it or mute it, do away with it. And at times we might need to do that to protect ourselves, but that's the easy option when it comes to relationships. The bottom line is Satan loves to divide and undo and break apart and rip apart what God has made and united and built together. He loves to rip apart local churches. If there are cracks and factions and problems, friends, please love someone enough to deal with them. Be, be reconciled. Be of the same mind. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Stand firm because you know who you are. You know that you're a citizen of heaven waiting to be reconciled to Christ. You know what this world is about. You know where you're going. And so stand firm. But also stand firm because you're aware of the challenges. The dangers of worldly appetites and self and license, but the dangers of division and of factions. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Let me pray. Father, as is always the case, your word is so timely. And we thank you that you love to speak. Father, we're fearful of simply being hearers and not doers. And so by your spirit, be at work in us. Help us to be livers of your word, those who live it out. And so those who know who they are. And those who are aware of the challenges that we face. And so those who live for you. Lord, when we get it wrong, and we will and we do. We thank you that you are gracious and kind and patient with us. In Jesus' name. Amen.